Hello and welcome to Money Life. This is Sucheta Dilan. If you are on social media or even read the newspapers, you couldn't have missed the furor and the outrage over an interview by N.R. Narayan Murthy to Mohandas Pai, his former CFO, part of a podcast. Now, why was there so much of rage and anger? Surprising, isn't it? I'm sure the Murthys themselves are most surprised why every time they say something, instead of being revered for their simple middle-class super success story, people seem to just lose it. And everybody has opinions on what they have said. So let's look at what Mr. Murthy said this time. He said that youngsters need, in fact, let me put it correctly. He requested that youngsters or rather India's youth must emulate the Japanese and the Germans and who rebuilt their respective countries after the world war by working 70 hours a week. People didn't like it at all. In fact, there was a uproar. Mr. Murthy, as you know, is the founder of Infosys, started in a small way and put the Indian company onto the global map. It was one of the first to get listed on the American exchanges. And they have been looked up to as India loves success. They've been looked up to as success story. Why are people so angry? It's not just the younger generation. Everybody, including me, has an issue with what he said. Now, let's look at the whole thing holistically. But before we do that, let's not dismiss it as some people tend to to do that this is youngsters who are lazy, entitled, and are furious at the thought that people are asking them to work. No, it's not that. You're not expected under international law to work more than about 50 to 52 hours a week. Many countries are moving to shorter weeks. We agree that India is a developing nation, but people working longer hours or younger people working longer hours is not a solution. They are already working long hours. Women have pointed out that they already work far more than 70 hours because they have primary responsibility for running homes, looking after children, looking after even aged parents. Youngsters, not just working long hours because they are ambitious, they want to go up in life, but they have to commute because they can't stay in urban cities. They can't stay in posh areas where their offices are. Most of them commute three to four hours a day, two hours each way, either going through choked traffic or traveling in trains. In fact, they complain about their health and work-life balance. Well-known bureaucrat Ashok Khimka has pointed out to the huge gap between static entry-level salaries, yeah, even in Infosys, they have remained static for a while, and that of top management. Justice Markande Karchu, former judge of the Supreme Court of India has written an entire blog post on this, which concludes with one pithy line. So Narayan Murthy is talking through his hat. Kishore Mandyan, a former diplomat who worked for the United Nations, probably explains it the best. He says, to equate industrial work with nation building is a stretch. Productivity is a function of qualitative work conditions, less of length of time in office or on the shop floor. In fact, this is common sense. Couldn't agree more. Unfortunately, the 70-hour headline drowned out a lot of what Mr. Murthy had said. He correctly touched upon, just touched upon several important issues. 
low productivity among India's employees, government corruption, delays caused by bureaucracy. And those who actually went and heard the podcast would know that Mr. Murthy dwelt at length on pre-economic liberalization, which is after 1992, and the bad old days, licenses, permits, how many times you had to go to Delhi, meet bureaucrats, wait outside their offices to get them to budge even on tiny issues, all the things that they had to fight for to make the IT revolution happen. Post-liberalization, obviously things have changed and it has unleashed the inherent entrepreneurial talent in India. People have done extremely well. We have Indians in leadership positions across the globe. Many of them have left India for the first time, first generation Indians who have gone and succeeded. Mr. Murthy has actually gone on to discuss productivity issues. Then he comes to this point that the youth should contribute to nation building in a message that actually harks back to this whole concept of Kartavya Kal. We are supposed to work without expectation. Now, social media uh, messaging and outrage, as I have said repeatedly on this video blog, is often manufactured, fomented, misdirected by digital media experts. This time, there is a spontaneity to the outburst because this tech billionaire seems to have touched a wrong nerve. I would say he's slightly out of touch because he's not taking into account the growing income inequality, which is showing signs of translating into social unrest. Those of you who again read would have noticed that this time when there is social unrest in several states, angry mobs have gone and attacked elected representatives and their homes first. Homes of elected representatives being burned down. This happened in Maharashtra, it's happened in Manipur, it's happening elsewhere, is a dangerous sign. And maybe people are taking lessons from bulldozers being used to quell protests because the government can use bulldozers. Obviously, the lesson to people is you go and attack the houses of people who you hold responsible. Now, let's look at income disparity in a little detail. Large sections of people, thanks to income disparity, are already working over 70 hours a day, not only in urban centers. Like I said, they have to wade through traffic. They do this out of necessity. And we also see signs of it in the large unemployment. People want work, but India has unemployment at 7.1%, even after a small dip in September. Then you have the gig economy, which everyone's very proud about, which is delivery agents who work under contractors, not fully employed. They have gone and created scores of unicorns. Unicorns are companies with billion-dollar valuations. We're very proud of them. The government talks about, look at how many unicorns India has produced, it is built on the back of these gig workers who have absolutely no job security, long, tiring hours. They are working day and night, no pensions, no social security, no corporate benefits. You want to watch your match at two in the night. It is they who are delivering your pizza to you because they are working far more than 70 hours. So this leads to the incongruity also of another situation that's happening. On one hand, people working tirelessly with no benefits. On the other hand, you have postgraduate and doctoral qualified people applying for government jobs, willing to work as peons and clerks, even in prosperous states like 
Kerala, Karnataka, Maharashtra, Goa, and Tamil Nadu. Why do they want those jobs? Obviously, because it's a fat salary, lots of benefits, lots of leave, dearness allowance adjusted to inflation, pension, much less work pressure, much less responsibility. And what Mr. Narayanmuthi touched upon, lot of ability for those who wanted to make money over and above what the government pays them. So here you have people well-educated from wealthy states, I call them wealthy states, willing to work as peons as long as it's a government job and a permanent job. On the other hand, these same states don't have people to harvest their crop, work in plantations, even bring coconuts down from their trees, or to run the tourism industry, which is booming in places like Goa. So migrant workers have been coming from Uttarakhand, Jharkhand, Bihar, Orissa, the Northeast, and even Bangladesh, and they're flooding the southern states. Why the southern states? Because they are richer. They have a much higher per capita income than the national average, which is 2,300 US dollars. And they have a lower population. In fact, population growth has slowed down significantly in the southern states. So they depend on these workers to come and work in their tea, coffee, cashews, spice plantations, fruits and tobacco and what have you. And of course, big tourism industry. Look at any restaurant in Goa or in South India, the tourist destinations, it has people from Uttarakhand and from the Northeast. These are skilled and unskilled people who are coming here because they don't have employment in their states. They work very hard, more than 70 hours a week, because they need to remit money home or they want the benefit of having their families being allowed to come and live with them in South India. They're learning the language, they're adapting to the South. In fact, in an eye-opening thread, MK Nidish, whose Twitter handle is MK Nid, vividly describes the influence of migrant workers in the South. In fact, I didn't know this, I'm sure you don't, that a 35-seater weekly bus service travels 2,000 kilometers between Orissa and Kerala, charges 3,500 per seat, and is always packed every week. That's the number of people who are traveling up and down, people going back home or coming for work. Doesn't this illustrate how hard people are willing to work to improve their lot? And their own government is unable to provide them worthwhile employment. In fact, Nidish also reveals that one in four adult males in Kerala, his home state, are interstate migrants. Have you heard? We hear a lot of discussion on what to do for non-resident Indians. These are non-residents from individual states within the country. Have you heard of any government, either state government or central government, paying any focused attention to this social change that is triggered by mass internal migration? for work, their sheer numbers as well as their plight was only noticed after COVID when there was a lockdown and these people came onto the roads and you realize that so many people are living outside their homes, outside their states and they were walking home in the most trying conditions. Even after that, COVID is over, these workers have come back because they need those jobs. Many of them said, never again, we won't come back. But they were back as soon as COVID was over because they need employment and they need to work hard to better their lot. Even today, you don't have the government 
having a special department, a ministry looking at internal migrant workers. Each state may have different issues, but there is nobody looking at it. Now contrast this with how well the rich are doing. So you have income concentrated in 1% of the people who have so much money, they don't know what to do with it. And this is reflected in the booming market for super luxury cars. In fact, India's luxury car market hit a record high in 2023. BMW, Audis, Mercedes-Benz are flying off the shelves. According to a report, Audi posted a 97% jump in retail sales in the first half of 2023 alone. And it's the same with the great Indian super expensive weddings, destination weddings, super luxury apartments in fancy towers, jewelry, banded products, anything that's extremely expensive is doing well because they have the money. So you have the haves, you have the have-nots and this dangerous disparity is going to have an impact on our society. Now let's look at the gig economy, which I said has made a lot of these startups what they are. Bhavish Agarwal, founder of Ola Cabs, which we all love, made a difference to us, was one of the first to support Mr. Murthy's views. He thinks people are not working hard enough. They should. Now, we know that the cab hailing business almost came apart because Ola managers and Uber refused to look at their main workers, the drivers. They didn't even want to adjust algorithms to ensure that they got homeward routes at the end of the day or received their payments in time or there were no punitive deductions. They had to gang up and unionize and resort to strikes before they were heard. Mr. Murthy spoke about how he taught his cook to order online. Has he not noticed that delivery agents were grueling us and they get management attention only when there's a controversy? In fact, a lot of women is worse. Urban company employs a lot of women. They're in the beauty business. They had to go on strike because of the high commissions and costs that were charged to them, deducted from their income, which is also not steady and which depends on how hard they work. Okay? Here too, research by ActionAid, a rights group has shown that gig workers, as they're called, these gig platforms discriminate against women since they're unable to respond as quickly or work as many hours as the men because of unpaid care responsibilities. How does this work? Suppose you are an Ola or Uber driver. The person who logs in first gets the business. So even with these women, those who log in first, so they take time because in between when they have no work, they're looking after families, cooking for them, looking after kids, getting their studies done. They're not able to log in fast. They lose. And algorithms were programmed to make this happen. In fact, I would say the entire gig economy is a contributor to income disparity because in these unicorns, rewards and stock options are concentrated at the top while the workers are left to their own devices unless they unionize. Not only that, these companies have written algorithms which try to guilt shame customers like us into contributing to the income of the delivery workers by providing pre-programmed tips. So instead of the money coming from top management and their stock options and the fancy cars they're buying, we are supposed to add to it because they are not paying enough to their largest employee segment, which is the workers, not even directly hired by them. 
In fact, Ashok Khemka has put it well. He has put a number to this disparity by pointing out that the chief executive officer of Infosys gets a salary, which is 2,200 times that of a fresher. So we are not even talking about the disparity between a gig worker and the CEO. We are talking about engineers, freshers who are coming in straight out of IITs. Even there, the disparity is so huge. Now, let's look at another issue that Mr. Muthi talked about, corruption in government. That is the important one. Mr. Murthy did say that unless we reduce corruption in government at some level, reduce delays in bureaucracy, that's in decision-making, we will not be able to compete with those countries that have made tremendous progress. I would go a step further. First, let me say, let me elaborate on what he said. He says, Every government is as good as the culture of the people. And our culture has to change to that of a highly determined, extremely disciplined, and extremely hardworking people. Now, where does government culture change? Through government employees. So highly disciplined, corrupt, non-corrupt should start over there. I actually think that these two statements contradict each other because high levels of corruption, callous administration, adds to the time and cost of doing business in India. It forces people to spend more hours on work which is not producing results and is completely unnecessary and avoidable. In fact, Mr. Murthy himself, surely familiar with the anger of company secretaries and chartered accountants over the faulty deployment of MCA 21's version 2 reporting and compliance software. It added countless hours of unproductive work to the schedule of professionals. They had to work late in the night even to be able to log in. And then the finance minister had to summon Mr. Nandan Nilekani once. Even after that, it passed on the baton. So now you have LNT Mind Tree, version three of the software, and the nightmarish problems, long hours, hard, unproductive work continues. It is well more than 70 hours, not even getting them remuneration. In fact, many of professionals say that they have lost clients because clients don't know where the problem is. They don't know the problem is with the software. They wonder why things are not getting done. Things that are supposed to happen in hours because of technology don't get done in weeks. The same is true for the automated personal taxation system, where again, Infosys had a role to play. It the central processing center is spewing out demand notices that go back to 2003 and four. We've all been told that you don't need to keep data for more than seven years. But now when you have a demand notice with interest, no amount of outrage on social media has moved the government to look into this issue or even to waive interest payments when notices were not even served until a few months ago. So if you didn't know that you had to pay something, or it was not accepted, why are you being punished by interest? This adds to the cost, this increases work because many people are simply paying up in paying up twice, mind you. They have already paid their taxes. They are paying interest, which is illegal, frankly, and unreasonable because the time, cost, and mental harassment of fighting a callous system is significantly higher and may not even deliver results. So one would argue that making the government accountable to people by fighting for our rights should be part of the culture that makes for great nations. But very few industrialists want to encourage the effort unless it specifically hurts their own interest. 
So if it hurts their own interest, they want people to fight, not otherwise. Finally, let's not forget that the government itself passed Prevention of Corruption Amendment Act in 2018. Yes, every day, all of you have been receiving messages from every government organization to say fight corruption. But in 2018, government amended the rules, making it harder to investigate and prosecute corrupt public servants. So the youth or all of us who are not so youthful, working 70 hours a week is not going to benefit the nation. It is going to benefit us as individuals. But for nation building, you need a clean, non-corrupt government. And we need our industrialists to dare say that a little more forcefully. If you agree, share this video and subscribe. Thank you.